الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم ذي الشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيدي ولدي آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدًا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إنما أموالكم وأولادكم فتنة والله عنده أجر عظيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين Today's khutbah is uh, dedicated to understanding some things about a repeating subject in the Quran and something that all of us in one way or the other think about whether we're thinking about the Book of Allah or the Deen of Allah or not, it's something on all of our minds all the time throughout our lives. The term that I'm going to explain to you in some capacity is the term fitna. It's used many, many times in the Quran in many different ways. And we use it among each other also. This is a huge fitna, what a new fitna has arisen in the community or the youth ha- are having a lot of fitna, etc., etc., etc. So the term has become a common part of Muslim culture We use it all the time. We have a certain idea of what it means. What I wanted to do in this khutbah is to first highlight what the word means in its original language, how the Arabs understood this word before Islam. And then I want to highlight three ways in which Allah uses this word overall. Even though it's used many, many different ways, if you try to collect all of them and categorize them, you'd come up with three categories and how understanding those three categories can help us understand our deen better and understand our lives and the situations that we go through better. So let me begin by what this word meant originally. So they, the Arabs used to use this word, فَتَنَ الذَّهَبِ They used to use it when they purified gold. 
or any metal. Because metals can be impure, they can have an impurity deep inside. And when you melt the gold and you put it under extreme heat, all of the deeply embedded impurities, they start melting away. And finally, it has experienced, the gold has experienced the process of fitna. And that's why the person who used to do it to the gold was called a fatan. Fatan. They, they use this word also for, you know, large barks of tree or wood or anything else that they needed to melt a little bit or, or heat a little bit so they can straighten it out. This actually was called the process of fitna also. Similarly, the, the najar, the carver, who's actually modifying the wood and chopping it up and really turning it into, into something new, he was called a faitan, a faitan. And maftun was used for the dinar, like the, the coins, because the coins, you ha they have to have the symbol of the king or the currency. Any country, even now, the coins have some kind of imagery on them that's minted on them. And you have to have extreme heat or extreme pressure to be able to mold the metal to do that. And that's why it's called maftun, like a minted coin is called a coin that's maftun. This is what the meaning originally was. From this came the idea, because the Arabs are very rich in their language, there are lots of words for test. So ibtila, for example, or imtihan, or ikhtibar, and other words are used for test. But fitna is used for a test that burns deep inside you. Or fitna is a test that tests you to the innermost depths, like a deep test, a very serious test, a test that even burns. You have to go through pains to pass that test. That kind of a test is called a fitna. So this is not a small thing that a person goes through, right? And it could be, of course, it, we know, every Muslim knows this entire life is a test. And good things in this life are a test and bad things in this life are a test, right? But some things are a tougher test than other things. When those things are an extremely difficult test, they qualify to be called fitna. So that's the first thing that I want you to understand. The second thing is that there are three kinds of fitna that Allah talks about in the Quran. One kind is from Allah Himself. And to give you, a, He talks about this in many ways, but one of the ways that fitna happens in this dunya, by the way, there's a fitna in this dunya, and there's also a fitna in the akhirah. The day on which they are going to be put in fitna on the fire. That's on judgment day, they're going to be in fitna. What does that mean? Just like the fire burns deep inside the metal and melts the impurities, that's how Allah takes the people of Jahannam and burns them deep inside. And He uses the word fitna for that on Judgment Day. But I'm not talking about Akhirah. In terms of this dunya, three kinds of fitna. And the first of them is when Allah puts somebody in fitna. The easiest example of that for you to remember is what Allah says about Musa alayhi salam. When Musa alayhi salam spoke with him on the mountain, Allah told him, وَفَتَنَّاكَ فُتُونَ we tested you multiple times. We put you in fitna multiple times. When he was born, the, the order was to kill all the babies. And he was, even as a baby, he was put in fitna. He was in a fitna when he was in the basket that could have drowned. He was in a fitna when he was being raised in the house of Fir'aun. He was in a fitna when he had to hide his mother's true identity. He was in a fitna when he had to escape Egypt. He was in a fitna when he couldn't go back to Egypt. And when he almost died of dehydration, he was in a, you know, so the, all of these were fitna that he went through, all of these difficult tests that he went through, and Allah describes how Musa salam was put through fitna. So you would think Allah does this for believers, but Allah also mentions this for Fir'aun. 
we, we put the people of Fir'aun and the lineage, the descendants of Fir'aun also in fitna. So now we're learning when Allah executes a fitna, He doesn't just do this for believers and doesn't just do this for disbelievers, it's for everybody. Anybody can be put through fitna. And that is why we find in the Quran, fitnatuk, tusibuha man tasha, tusibu biha man tasha. In here, illa fitnatuk, tusibu biha man tasha. Musa even told Allah at one point, this is your fitna, you can strike with your fitna whoever you want. You can strike with your fitna whoever you want. So Muslims don't have a simplistic understanding of difficulties or tests or trials in this life. So we don't say, how come good people are having difficult time and how come bad people are having a good time? I don't get it. People who say that must not have studied the Quran. People who say that would not have learned, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ because Allah makes this clear from the very beginning that fitna will happen and you know وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَبُوا مِنْكُمْ Like you should be afraid of a fitna that will not just strike the people who do wrong, Allah says. So fitna doesn't just happen to people that are bad or people who do wrong. Fitna happens to everybody. And sometimes some people's crime, many people have to pay the price, at least in this world it looks like that. Some people commit a crime and everybody has to pay the price, right? And that is the nature of fitna. Allah, Allah Azza wa Jal tests fitna, creates fitna in many, many ways. And some of those fitnas seem very drastically unfair. Like recently here, I was telling the story of Yusuf salam, and what happened to Yusuf salam from the beginning of his life is unfair. His brothers, what they did to him is not his fault. So they, they put him in fitna. But now, one category was when Allah puts you in fitna. Okay, let's talk about the second category. The second category is when people put you in fitna. When people put you in fitna. Like رَبَّنَا لَا تَجْعَلْنَا فِتْنَةً لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا When people put you in difficulty, when people persecute believers, when people attack believers, when people wrong, when people oppress other people, you know, that's the second kind of fitna Allah describes in the Qur'an. People that commit crimes against others are putting them in fitna. People that are torturing, persecuting, murdering, killing, they're putting other people in fitna. People that are abusing others are putting people in fitna. This is another category. So now there's two different categories. There's the fitna Allah puts you in. There's the fitna people put you in. And then there's the third category. The fitna I put myself in. وَلَكِنَّكُمْ فَتَنْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ Allah says, you put yourselves in fitna. You threw yourselves into fitna. So now we've got three. And we need to understand how the three of these work. There's the fitna from Allah. There's the fitna from bad people. And, there's, and, and by the way, it's not just bad people. It's not just, I should have qualified. It's not just bad people. Allah says, wa Fitna, even your children are a fitna. So your children are putting you in fitna. So it's not just kuffar that are putting you in fitna, the enemies of Allah that are putting you in fitna, the, the, the baby that you love, the children that you love, the daughter that you're excited to get married, you know, get her married off, and her wedding's happening in a couple of weeks, and Allah is calling that a fitna too. Right? So fitna comes from Allah, fitna comes from people, and then fitna comes from within myself. Now what Allah describes in the Quran then is how people get, when they have weak faith, what happens to them? Whenever people put them in fitna, 
People put them in fitna. Ja'ala nasi This person takes the fitna that people put him in. People are doing something wrong to you. People are doing something messed up. And then you, you convert that in your head. Why is Allah letting this happen? This must be Allah punishing me. This, why is Allah punishing me? I didn't do anything. So you confuse the fitna of people with the adab of Allah. And my objective in the next half of this khutbah is to try to properly understand what is it that Allah wants us to know about this term and how we should live our lives thinking about the trials and difficulties that we go through. Of course, everyone here knows nothing happens except by the will of Allah. So I'm going to give you a, a, a silly example. I will be a silly example. Like somebody picks up a rock outside when you leave Jum'ah, they throw it on your head. It hits your head really hard. You turn back. You're angry at them. They say, no, no, this is a fitna from Allah. Allah is testing you. It's not me. That's a fitna from Allah. Because nothing happens except by the will of Allah. No calamity strikes. No difficulty can hit anybody except if Allah wanted it to happen. So bro, I know I picked up the rock and I hurled it at you and I'm impressed with my own aim. It was a pretty good hit. But the issue is you shouldn't be taking this up with me. You should take this up with the government. You should take this up with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look, it's a, it's a matter of intelligence. You know, I'll give another example to help you understand this problem. You know, insects, they have very small brains. Yeah? If you're messing around with an insect and you kind of take a straw and you kind of mess around with it a little bit, it starts fighting with the straw. It starts attacking the straw. Because to, to, the, to the insect, the source of the problem is the straw. So it attacks it. But if you take something with a little bit of a bigger brain, like a dog or a snake, and you take a stick and you mess with the snake, it's not going to attack the stick. It sees that behind the stick is somebody else. It's going to bite you. The dog is not going to bite the stick. The dog is going to bite you because it has a bigger brain. It can see, okay, the fitna is the stick, but the real fatin, the real one putting me in that situation is the one holding the stick. And we have bigger brains than dogs and snakes. So the guy's arguing, I threw a rock at you. You see me, but I'm just the stick. Behind me is the power of Allah. Allah did this, not me, so blame Allah. That's his. So this idea, and therefore, because every, everything happens by the will of Allah, we should blame Allah for everything bad that happens. You know? Now to understand this problem, and to, 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 first I wanted to make sure you understand the problem. Now what do, how do we understand the solution? What Allah has done is separated those two things. Allah allowing something to happen is not the same as Allah desiring something to happen. Allah allows many things to happen in this world that make Allah angry. Allah in fact gets angry in the Quran. If everything happened the way Allah wants it to happen or the way Allah desires by the pleasure of Allah, everything happened by the ridha of Allah, then Allah should never be upset about anything because He's the one who did all of it. But when Allah says, غَضِيبُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Allah got angry at them. What, is the, what did the Mufassirun describe here? There's a difference between the rida of Allah, the, the pleasure of Allah, Allah doing something willingly, or rather not willingly, out of his desire to do something, out of his will, but rather more, he allowed it to happen. He in his wisdom decided, I will allow certain things to happen, even though he himself is not pleased with those things. He gave human beings that freedom to do things that are displeasing to him. He gave them that freedom. And the first time Allah did this, 
when he created the human beings, even the angels were confused. Why are you giving the human beings this power to do things that you don't like? Ya Allah, you don't like these things, but you're letting them do these things. How come you're letting them do them? You're gonna, you, they couldn't understand it. And Allah Azza wa Jalla said these human beings are created for a much more complex and powerful purpose that even the angels were not yet ready to understand in the a'lamun I know something you don't know. That's what he told the angels. Now, Allah has given me the freedom to displease him. Forget talking about anybody else. I'm not here to talk about Fir'aun or Shaitan or I'm here to talk about myself. And every one of us should be thinking about themselves. Allah has given me the ability to disobey him. Allah has given me the freedom to upset him. The freedom to make him angry. The freedom to backbite. The freedom to slander. The, the freedom to, to eat haram. The freedom to attack someone else. To hurt someone else. To steal. He's given me that freedom. He's given me the reign to do it. So before I complain about how come this one got away with it and that, that one got away with it, how come the volume gets away with it, before we say that, I have to ask myself, what do I get away with? What do I get away with? Somebody came to me not too long ago because of what's happening in the world, and we all know what's happening in Gaza, may Allah Azza wa Jal help the believers in Gaza and grant the shuhada Jannah and grant their family sabr and give us an ounce of that kind of tawakkul and iman that those people have demonstrated and give them nusra. Um, but somebody came and asked, how come Allah is letting that happen? How come Allah doesn't just stop it? Because it's a fitna from Allah. It's a fitna from Allah. How come Allah doesn't just stop it? So the question then becomes, let's think about this reasonably. If you want Allah to stop it, if you want Allah to intervene, should Allah not intervene every time you and I disobey Allah? Where do you draw the line? No, if they're killing people, then Allah should stop. But if they're stealing, that's not so bad. It's okay, Allah doesn't have to intervene yet. Or if you're lying about something, then no, 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 don't, don't make your tongue, force your tongue to say the true thing. No, no, not that much control, but some lim after some limits, Allah should just stop things. Allah put human beings on this earth, and He allowed them to be a fitna for each other. Allah allowed them to be a fitna for each other. And when we take the fitna that we put each other in, human beings put each other in fitna, and then we say, no, 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 this is Allah's fault. Allah is the one who did this, not the people. That is what's called when you put yourself in fitna. The third one. It is from Allah, only in that Allah allowed you to be tested. Allah created a situation and allowed you to be tested to see how I'm going to do, how you're going to do. That's it. You know, there are other people other than Islam, they believe in God too. And some people believe in a God that's sadistic. He enjoys torturing people. He enjoys watching the show. You know, like old kings they used to have for their entertainment. They used to go into an arena. They'd bring out a prisoner and they'd bring out a lion. And they'd enjoy watching the lion devour the, the human being for their own entertainment. So people got this sick idea that kings, they like to enjoy their subjects when they're suffering. So some people even develop this philosophy, well, you know, there's a God, he created the universe, but he just, he's just enjoying the show, watching us kill each other, watching us just burn each other. This is the kind of God. This concept is actually there. This is what you call people putting themselves in fitna. This is what this is. Allah even describes this subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. 
But when Allah puts me and you through fitna, it is because what's the purpose? Let's well, let's conclude it. What's the right way to understand that Allah is putting me through fitna? If somebody stole money from me, that person put me in fitna. But Allah let it happen. Allah allowed it to happen. So the question, the final question is, why did Allah allow it to happen? For two reasons. Allah was testing that, the thief, and Allah was testing me. And that person has already failed because they stole. Now the only, the only part left is, what am I going to do? Am I going to pass this test or not? Because there are two different tests. The valim has his own test, the mazloom has his own test. Both of them are being tested. The valim already failed because they did against the will of Allah. But the one who has been wronged, now they have to decide how they're going to react. Are they going to re react according to the will of Allah? Or are they going to react against the will of Allah? Are they going to say, what can I learn from this? How do I respond to this within reason, within what Allah has allowed me to respond to? Does this affect my relationship with Allah Himself or no? And for people, when, when people have this problem that they want to blame Allah for the crisis that they're going through, I'll tell you, Allah put in our fitrah, He put in human nature. You don't even have to be Muslim to understand this. Allah put in our nature the understanding that actually it is human beings that put each other in difficulty. If you were driving your car right now and somebody hit you in the back, Allah protect you, but if that happened, somebody hit you in the back, immediately you don't say, Ya Allah, ma hadhihi al-fitna. You, you look back and say, hey man, watch where you're, why are you on the phone? Immediately you blame the guy who hit you. You didn't blame Allah. You didn't blame Allah. You say, hey, give me your driver's license. Let's call the police. You're holding him responsible immediately, yes? And these are the same people who when, when they do, when something wrong happens to them, they say, well, you know, I want to hold this person responsible. But when they themselves do something wrong, they say, well, it was the will of Allah. What can I do? You see? It's a kind of hypocrisy, isn't it? Want to hold others responsible, for, but not myself. So people philosophize about these things and they talk about these things and they put themselves in fitna and Allah says about people like that, Haven't they already fallen into fitna? Haven't they already fallen? This is why studying the book of Allah and contemplating the book of Allah is so important. This is why understanding there's a, there's a, there's a seen world and there's an unseen world. And the things that Allah does, they have a purpose behind them. It's never purposeless. Allah did not create me without purpose and no situation that Allah put me in is without a purpose. And every one of those purposes has hikmah in it. People do things, stupid things to each other. But Allah never allows even those stupid things to not have a wise purpose behind them. That's why he's al-hakim. That's, that's why he's yudabbiru al-amr, right? He, he does tadbiru al-amr. He plans everything. Even the things that we do that weren't planned by us, were badly planned by us, behind them, there's a great hikmah that Allah allows to happen. May Allah Azza wa Jal not allow us to become people that become maftun, that become people fallen into fitna, that falsely attribute the tests of Allah for the wrong reasons to people. People do things to each other for sadistic reasons, but Allah only tests me for my own benefit. There's never any test that Allah put me through except that I was going to benefit from it. Somehow it was going to be something that raises me in ranks. Right? Allah is going to raise the ranks among you, those who believe and those who've been given knowledge. Allah will raise the ranks. And Allah only raises the ranks by more and more and more tests. 
So may Allah Azza wa make us understand those tests and be able to live up to the tests that we are going to be facing in our lives. This is the final statement I'll give to, uh, to, to, to myself and to all of you. Allah Azza wa prepared the Ummah. He prepared the Ummah. When he, in Surah Al-Baqarah, He declared us to be a new Ummah. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطَى He declared us to be a nation, a balanced nation. And he, in that same surah, he said, وَلَا نَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ We're going to test you, absolutely test you with all kinds of things. مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصِ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ We're going to put you in a lot of tests. Lots and lots of tests. But what will be the... How do you know you passed a test? Who will get the good grade? How do you know if you're passing the test? That's the end of that ayah. Allah says, وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتُمْ Congratulations to those who passed the test. Congratulations to the people that can have sabr. And what does sabr mean? Those who whenever the difficulty or whatever calamity, whatever test strikes them, they say we belong to Allah, we have to go back to Allah also. They understand every one of these tests is temporary and return to Allah is permanent. Temporary difficulty, permanent reward. Just like you and I, we have temporary difficulty. Students that have exams coming up, studying is difficult. Temporary difficulty, long-term benefits. You have, uh, if you're running a business and it's high, you know, some people in the retail business, there's, there's Black Friday and, you know, Shaitan Thursday, whatever they got. They got, you got. You got those sales and you got, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of headache. There's a lot of employee problems. There's a lot of business problems. There's a lot of security problems, all that stuff. But you're putting all that work in, long-term benefits. The money that comes in is really good. Right, so every time there is long-term benefit, you have to go through difficulty first. Right, and believers understand this about their entire life. Allah will put me through one short-term difficulty, then another, then another, then another, even if it's a lifelong sickness. Even the lifelong sickness is a short-term difficulty compared to the long-term benefit that's coming. And that's what they get from inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We belong to Allah and only Allah to Allah alone is it that we are going to return? May Allah Azza wa Jal make us all who, uh, those who pass all of the fitan that come our way. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr.